0: forever Moments go Time runs out And then it hits you With the pain Things are greater
1: Welcome to Gods the Ghost Volleyball. I'm your host, Scott Bemke. Today's podcast features part five of our interview with UCLA Bruins men's volleyball coach, Al Skates. Let's pick things up where we left off last.
2: You've had so many coaching successes over your career, uh, Coach Skates. Um, let's uh, talk a bit about maybe a, a failure or two that you had along the way that really resonated with you. Um, and what did you learn from it, ultimately?
0: Okay, I was the head coach of the uh, 72 Olympic team. And uh, we didn't qualify in Havana, Cuba the year before. After we won the, the first game, um, what happened was the referees turned on us when Fidel came up. And we lost that match. But that was predictable. So that that was actually predictable because they didn't bring in the Japanese officials like they promised they brought in. Well, I had Cuban and I insisted on neutral, so they brought in Mexican officials. But anyway, so we expected that to be tough. But now we have a chance to play against all the runner-ups in the pre-Olympic tournament, Montpellier, France. So my team was different from 71 because a lot of the players couldn't get off two years in a row. The starting setter, Smitty Duke, wasn't available from 71 out of Texas for some reason. And the best player in the United States uh, at that time, and the MVP was John Alstrom, a, a real good middle blocker. He couldn't get off work. So I didn't have any consistency. The most competitions... The veteran on the squad was Miles Pabst, and he spent eight years in the Air Force as a mechanic. He was 29, but he only played in th- three international competitions. And we had to beat Poland, and and Poland. I I added it up. The, the average international competitions of their starters equaled 185, 185 international competitions. So. I had to find a place to play. We could play the Romanians. Okay. They were a good team. So <laughs> we left on July 23rd, and on the 24th, our bags didn't get off until Paris. So we we arrived there, and uh, <coughs> we didn't have any of our equipment. And there was an airplane strike, and people were getting off the planes with their own baggage, and... and um, Finally, we met our statistician Jim Coleman there at, at Bucharest, and had a seven-hour bus ride to, up to the mountains, Pietra and meet, where they trained and ate dinner at three and played our first match against Romania, and uh, they crushed us. And uh, <laughs> they were in the tournament, also, by the way. So. Um, after that I, I said okay we're gonna play five games no matter what so the second time uh, we had a we w- we lost the first game but it was deuce we were getting better we won the fourth and now it's a big improvement and uh, we moved Rudy Suarez to the first team and he, he blocked well but the next day we had to go to Bucharest to play and uh, so The Polish team was up there with a camera, 16-millimeter camera, their whole staff, and they scouted us because they'd never seen us anywhere because we never played anywhere and because we didn't have money to go anywhere. But, uh, so, Romania, I put the second team out because we're being filmed and that was a three-game match. Then we finally had the fourth game and uh, You know, we were competitive. We were getting good. We lost the first two deuce games, and then we won the next two and lost the third. So I felt we were ready. So we go to Romania, I mean, we go to France, and and the coach, they changed the schedule. So then instead of playing Poland last, after we could get a few more good competitions against Hungary and some of the other teams, they had that scheduled as the first match because our team was playing good, finally. And so we had to play in this little hot gym. And uh, it was with capacity. And we are in the fifth game against Poland. And whoever wins this gets to go to the Olympics because we're going to crush whoever else we play in, in our pool. And what happened is that at 12-12, we set a perfect set to John Stanley hitting on the outside. His son, Clay, played played later. Sure. And uh, John slipped and fell on his approach, on the step close. He just hit a wet spot. He was sweating through his shoes. It was so hot. And he just landed flat on his back. And the set went went to the floor and then I remember there was an overpass and Rudy Swore went up in the middle and just crushed it but it was just out so we had two swings right there to go ahead of them anyway we lost in five deuce game, uh, and, and we lost and Poland went to the Olympics I think they took a third that year and then they won the gold medal Seventy-six, and so I, I was uh, pretty distraught. The Polish coach brought, <laughs> came to console me and brought a <laughs> bottle of vodka. We sat out on the bench outside the stadium and had a few glasses of vodka because he knew he was going and we weren't. So that was nice. Of
2: yeah, classy but, move.
0: Yeah, so I sent the team to Germany with uh, uh, Bert DeGruy, Colonel Group, and uh, I stayed there and wrote a 21-page report to the Olympic Committee on how to win a gold medal. You know, for tea, the year before, I was gone for 40 days. I was gone to Poland, Miami, uh, Cali, Colombia for the Pan Ams, and then to Cuba for the Zones. And I, I had to go down to the credit union and take out a, a, a big loan so I could afford to be the coach because they didn't pay you. They didn't pay the players, which is why you never had the same players day to day. So I stayed there. I wrote this with uh, Clint Stevenson, the father of, of one of my setters. And Clint was a, a lawyer and very knowledgeable about volleyball and helped with the Winston League at the forum later. And, uh, you know, he helped me a lot, and we submitted this report, and I never heard anything about it. I said it to everybody on the Olympic Committee, on the USA a Committee, and then, and then they finally implemented it about 1981. And uh, I, I told them I was, done with, I was done. I'm not coaching USA Volleyball anymore. I'm going to grow NCAA Volleyball. I'm just done with this organization. And I didn't coach again for the USA until 1997, when when I was the head coach of the uh, World University Games. But that's one tremendous disappointment. Now I'll tell you about the other one.
2: (laughs) Okay.
0: The other one's the UCLA, and we had a great team. Maybe the best bunch of players that we've ever had. I mean, but it won't be remembered as that. Everybody always says the best, the best college team ever was the 1984 team that went 38-0 at UCLA. With it's Ludies Indiana. and
2: Partee and with Saunders on that team and all those
1: studs? Yeah,
0: that, that was the team, yeah, they they were, were Partee and Ludies started four straight years, we won four straight NCAA championships. I mean, that was a great team.
2: Roger Clark?
0: Yeah, Roger Clark was on that team for four years. He came in the same recruiting class. He had the great jump serve. And, and, and that's the team they say was the best. But the 82 team, a lot of times his name's the best, too, because that was another undefeated team. Karch was on that team, and Saunders, and Pardee, and Ludies, and Ball State transfer and named Mohalsky started he had one year of village Billy Reed Sunah before his motorcycle accident, the flying Hawaiian team was awesome. We had a great coach, Danny Klein, as my assistant. So that that was just an awesome thing. Okay, so but anyway, we're talking about this team, this 90, 94 team. I mean we had Nygaard and Wong and Sullivan. These guys started for four years also. They redshirt of the year first. We had John Sparrow starting on that team. And, you know, that was, that was an incredible team. And uh, so what happened is this. We get to, uh, we, let's see, we won in 93. Yeah, that team won in 93. So we get to Indiana, Purdue, Fort Wayne in 94. And uh, we've got two Midwest teams in there for the first time ever. And uh, so we play IPFW at their place at home, and they had um, future Hall of Famer Loy Ball setting, and, and his dad was coaching the team. But Loy had a hand injury just before playing basketball, and he wasn't very good as a setter. And so we, we pretty much crushed them. And then um, let's see, Shondell was coaching Ball State, and Penn State beat him. Tom Peterson was coaching Penn State, and I think they were down the first game, but won the next three, went to the final. So we're playing, and a huge, huge crowd for the Midwest. They had eight thousand, which set a record for for the Midwest. Sixteen thousand was a two-day record but so we were the clear favorite and uh, we we beat them easily first game 15-9 they squeaked out the second one 15-13 then we crushed them 15-4 and then they came back they had, we had a lead now it's the fifth game and they've got a guy named Raymond hernandez
2: from puerto rico and Pardon me? I think he was one of, they oftentimes had some of those international players. Maybe I think he was a a Puerto Rican that was on that team. He
0: was a Puerto Rican, and the center was a Puerto Rican. And they're talking in Spanish, and and, uh, unfortunately, I didn't speak Spanish, so I didn't know what the (laughs) hell they were talking about. And uh, they were swinging Hernandez from side to side. We didn't know where he was going. And he was having a career match. We just we just couldn't stop him. Carlos Ortiz uh, was setting him perfectly, and he was setting him every time he could. And the guy was in the zone. I mean, I've seen people in the zone. I've been in the zone. You know, many years ago, I can remember it well. <laughs> and it only happened you know twice maybe to me. But I never saw this guy play better. I don't think he ever played better. And he did it. He just, he beat us. And that that was a great team. But what really was disappointing is the linemen were cheating. They had local guys uh, as the linemen. Mm. And the referee did not overrule the, the horrid calls. There were five bad calls in the fifth set by the linesman either touches or touches or balls are out or in, you know. And uh, from that point forward the NCA flew in linemen. But up to that point they were taking local people as linemen. And these these yeah. linesmen when Penn State won, they jumped on the dog pile with the Penn State players.
2: Oh boy. That's not good.
0: I had never seen anything like well, of course I had seen it. You know, internationally, as a player, I've seen
2: this before.
0: I mean, but I've never seen the linesman jump and celebrate with the team and make it that obvious before.
2: Yeah, they they felt like they contributed to the win with their poor calls. Well, they
0: certainly did. Yeah. So anyway, that, those were the two most disappointing losses. I,
2: I do remember watching that one on TV because obviously as a Wisconsin native, we... Um, you know, cheer for our own, and wanted to see Narga- Nygaard do well, and it just seemed like that team was also just so damn good, and beat everyone so badly all year long that once you got into a dog fight, you know, that they weren't used to that sort of thing, so to speak, either. So uh, sometimes that, that being that dominant can maybe hurt you too when you you haven't been tested like that, and that's what happened that day. No, well, I, I got
0: to say Hernandez was more important than the linesman in Ortiz those two of Puerto we can get were fantastic. But anyway, I'm not going to go on there's others but those two stick out for me.
2: Got it. Now um you mentioned John Sporaw, oh, uh earlier. Um he was a heck of a player for you there is a un- undersized middle but smart as a whip and just got it done. Uh now as far as um how did uh, he end up being our U.S. Olympic coach, uh, one of your players uh, now running the U.S. men's national team program, and uh, and we're looking forward to seeing what he's going to do here uh, in the Olympics next year.
0: Yeah, and not only that, he coaches at UCLA, and he brought in the best recruiting class uh, ever, I mean, since he's been at UCLA from 2013 up to now, so... He's got a seven-foot setter coming in.
2: Oh, jeez. That's just what us 5'10 guys like to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah, he's doing double duty there.
0: But uh, John was, uh, let's see, he graduated in in, uh, 95. We won the championship. It was all tournament. And he was uh, going to go to medical school. He was working at the medical center in '96. But he was coming to our matches and keeping stats for me. And then in 97, he, just, he became a volunteer coach at UCLA while working at the medical center. And he decided he wanted to be a coach. So he met with me that spring. I, I had, uh, so I went to Betsy Stevenson, our senior associate athletic director. And I said I wanted to hire a second full-time assistant. I only had one full-time assistant. And uh, she said, yeah, but I can't do it until the next fiscal year. So John became full-time in 97. No, or 98. But he was a volunteer in 97. So I, I wanted him started, so I, uh, Doug Beal called, and I agreed to be the World University Games coach in Sicily. and. Uh, I, I told them that I had an up and coming coach that uh, I wanted to hire as an assistant. We were at, uh, USA Volleyball was actually paying coaches, <laughs> finally, in 1997. So uh, I hired John to be my assistant, al- along with uh, Arnie Ball, and then uh, my statistician was Andy Reed, who coached at Long Beach. So. That was John's first coaching gig with USA Volleyball. And then he became full-time with me the following year. And uh, just a very outstanding coach. And obviously, USA Volleyball thinks he's the best coach. They originally gave him the ultimatum that he would either have to coach for USA or UCLA. He had to make the choice. And John, of course, had already won three in championships at Irvine, so already had a vested interest in in the University of California retirement program. So switching to UCLA was his choice, and uh, USA couldn't hire anybody better than him, so they hired him, and he has a full-time staff at USA Volleyball, and they take care of everything, and then During the time John's coaching at UCLA, and he has a full-time staff at UCLA, so he's able to do both. And uh, he's he's probably, I I expect him to do some great things. It's so tough internationally because uh, it's it's such a high level, and uh, we've done so well with a very small population of male volleyball players. We've won three gold medals and on the women's side, where they have just you know probably eight thousand full rides for women, they have come close, but they haven't won one yet. So.
2: Yeah, they got a bronze them, this so. past year uh, or this past Olympics. I think that's got to make you feel pretty good when you look around uh, the the head of the. Uh, women's national team is your former player Karch Kiraly. the head of the men's team is John Spara and then at UCLA you got Stein Metzger coaching the beach. you've got Mike Seeley coaching the women's indoor and then you got uh, Spara coaching the men's team it's uh, you left a pretty good legacy
0: head coach it. USC men also. Yeah, Nygaard, no, I didn't guy. want to bring
2: that up because he went over to the uh, the dark side, as they say, or as well, Mike Storm wanted, and Norman says, that other school.
0: <laughs> well, he wanted to coach for me, but I didn't have a spot for him. I, I had two full-time assistants at the time when he wanted to get, he, he was giving up his beach career, and, and so he was hired as a full-time assistant at USC. But uh, I would have hired him for filing an opening because he volunteered in our program and uh, just really had terrific insight into what was going on with the players and very uh, technically gifted in appraising what needed to be done.
2: And I do have to say I love the assistant that he picked and Gary Sato. I think uh, they're going to probably do some good things there.
0: Well, things are on the upswing over there. You know, I, I hope he does. I hope he does well.
2: Great stuff. Now, uh, speaking of of the coaching uh, career, you competed against some some great coaches, you know, internationally and then also on the collegiate level. Um, As far as uh, your coaching nemesis is at the collegiate level, which coaching peer did you have the most respect for when it came to competing against them, Al? Well, I'm, you know, I coached for 50
0: years, okay? So... I'm going to go back a little bit and uh, tell you that the coach I respected the most when I started out in the 60s was Colonel Bert DeGroote. He coached the United States Air Force team and when he retired he became Dean of Students at Santa Monica College. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when I took over at UCLA, he was coaching the, uh, the team five days a week, Monday through Friday three to six in the men's gym at Santa Monica College. And he was the best coach I had seen. Best volleyball coach, for sure. And uh, eventually, to beat him, I just started <laughs> taking the kids that he had coached for two years and them transferring to my program. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Didn't you do that with Butch May and also with Ernie, was it, maybe, or?
0: No, Ernie spent one year there and okay. then came over to UCLA and played for me for three years. Uh, butch didn't play in college okay uh, butch was uh, butch was playing rugby and rodeo and volleyball and, uh, he <laughs> yeah i don't think he played in college so uh, he was doing a lot of stuff and working so but anyway i did get ernie and ernie got me two nca championships. i mean usa volleyball championships another guy that did a great job was uh, Dr. Dick Montgomery, who kept the USC program together in the 60s with very little support, and later was the head coach at Long Beach State uh, Men. So, and, and uh, you know, there were a lot of good coaches in other places too. Jim Coleman in the Midwest, and and Doug Beal at Ohio State, and Leskovich at Ohio State after that. But the first coach to really give me trouble when volleyball became an NCAA sport was Rudy Suara. I got him the head coaching job at UCSB in 71. He was a full-time coach up there. Remember, I, I had to work as a teacher in 1997 so I could afford to be a full-time volleyball coach. Well, Rudy got a nice gig up there in Santa Barbara, and we played him in the NCAA Championships in 74, but he had a strong team up there, and then he he left to become uh, a coach for the IVA in 75, but he was the first guy that really, I won't say he was the first, because Jack Hinn at San Diego State had a really good program and uh, we played them in the 72 NCAs and, and beat them because of the screwy rules where we played three matches on Saturday for seeding <laughs> and then the semi-Saturday morning, no no Sunday morning and then the final Sunday night Well, the, that was two three out of five games on, on Sunday and the fact is they just got exhausted against us and managed to beat him. But in 73, he won an NCAA championship. He was a real good coach. These guys are two of my teammates on USA Volleyball when I was playing on, on the team in the 60s. So they, they knew what they were doing. Uh, then a guy came along, uh, Marv Dumpfee at Pepperdine, very well-respected, won five NCAs, uh, won a decade. And uh, had the sense when he was coaching the Olympic team and took over for Doug Beale, took over the gold medal team. I'm not changing anything. And went on to win another gold medal for USA in '88. His former players love him. And then we ran into a great recruiter, Ernie Hicks at USC. He didn't really know much about coaching volleyball, but he knew a lot about talent and he could recruit, and he, he had some powerhouses. He won two NCAs in 77 and 80, and uh, I mean, he, he had some tremendous athletes in his program. Then Bob Yoder took over for him, one of his great players, and and he won in 88. I guess the guy I, I sent up to Stanford did pretty well, Fred Sturm. And, I sent Fred, one of my former players, Fred Sturm, up to Stanford to coach, and he was the head coach of the men and women's program at Stanford. Mm -hmm. I used to come up there early, he'd invite me early to play golf at the Stanford course, but really he would just uh, milk my brain for eight hours a day (laughs) to learn how to get better. And uh, when he started getting real competitive, I stopped going up there a day early and giving him free advice he was getting good and
2: we
0: <laughs> managed to beat him in the 89 NCAA finals by holding the great uh, former uh, future Olympian Scott Fortune down I had a guy named Trevor Sherman that I matched up on him and we managed to beat him and then he took over the USA men's program but he, he brought in uh, Don Shaw to co- coach with him and asked Don oh, well let's just we had coaches of one team. Which one do you want? So Shaw took the women. And Fred said, fine, I'll take the men. <laughs> and became the men's Olympic coach and then uh, took over the Denmark national program. So, uh, let's see. I'm trying to do this in somewhat chronological. Oh, Ray tell down at Long Beach had some good teams. He finally won an NCAA championship in 91 and then retired and then uh, he sent his son over I got the coach's son over here UCLA and then Tom Peterson I told you about the NCAA from Penn State yeah he went at Penn State and then he went to BYU and he won one in uh, 2004 so uh, and then they forced him out because of uh, there was infractions at BYU and Uh, he had to take the fall for it, but uh, it was there before he got involved. But anyway, he was one of the two coaches that had to resign, unfortunately, for him. And McGowan took over and uh, won a couple NCAA championships. It was really tough to beat BYU at home because they wouldn't let you on the practice floor. So you had to practice in some other room kind of situation. And uh, that was, a, he had the toughest home court there was. He put seats on the floor, like 10 feet, so you had a minimum service area. And then he reserved those seats for, uh, I guess they were baseball players. They knew how to heckle you anyway. <laughs> and then they would change sides, <clears throat> so they'd be behind you, heckling you. And then they put the, pushed the little plastic barriers forward so they could actually stand there and scream Servers' ears, and plus, whenever Carl got up, that meant he was displeased and the local referees would feverishly single, uh, ask anybody if there was touches, and he generally got a, like a two-minute timeout until he got things resolved his way, but also he was a brilliant coach. And uh, so he was he was very tough to beat, almost impossible to beat at home. Then there was a guy named Alex, Alex Popovich at Rutgers Newark who had the do- Golden Dome Classic in the 80s and in invite SC and UCLA back there and fill up that Golden Dome. He wanted to change the program to the other Rutgers practice uh, up other Rutgers University, so he could recruit better athletes, and they wouldn't let him, so he resigned became a banker. <laughs> but uh, he was doing a good job up there. Let's see. Oh, I want to say on Dale that the amount of coaches he turned out all over the country is phenomenal. You know, he, he a lot of his players are coaching and and doing great jobs and he also formed the first league a year before i formed uh, our league out here in southern california he formed MIVA in 63 and then i formed the southern california volleyball association in 64. wendy Sanderfer at long beach he was a very good coach and eventually became the commissioner of the southern california volleyball association I had to be the commissioner for years because I couldn't find anybody else to do it. Thank God Randy uh, took over. Uh, Unfortunately, I think he, cancer got him young. I know he died young. And, uh, but he was doing a great job with that Long Beach program. Uh, John Saw, I think, is one of the best coaches to come along for the USA. And I think he's gonna do a great job. You know, And Doug Beal was amazing because uh, here, here's the deal, when I was, I was selected to become the 84 Olympic coach and then on the way in to, to accept the job, um, I was told by Chuck Rolls, who was on the committee, <laughs> uh, we don't have any money to pay you yet, but we're gonna raise it, the money. But they wanted me to relocate to San Diego which means I couldn't work in Beverly Hills as a teacher or UCLA, and uh, I had three children in <laughs> a mortgage, and I was supposed to work for nothing again, for the USA. So I declined. And uh, the next guy they brought in was Dr. Dick Montgomery, and uh, he had a he got his PhD at SC, number two on the list, and uh, he declined for the same reason and took the San Jose women's job, which was a higher paying job than the uh, Long Beach State men's job. So the third candidate was Doug Beal, and Doug at the time was single, and he says, sure, I'll take the job. And uh, so he goes to San Diego and wins a gold medal. (laughs) So I gotta say, Doug did a great job coaching and uh, really had that team coached up. I used to go down there and watch him occasionally. I'd run camps in San Diego every summer, so I'd, I'd drop in and watch during that time. And, uh, very competitive practices. It was just uh, amazing. He, he took the core of the SC and UCLA teams and uh, who were very competitive anyway, and kept them that way for four years, living on a shoestring where the players got to drive Hundies that were so bad they would get on the freeway (laughs) and some of them would just leave them there but they they lived together and they had a jobs program for uh, uh, most of them had some type of gainful employment but to keep guys together for four years was pretty amazing and he did it. So let's see Um, there's a lot of good coaches I named so far and I probably left Oh, Mark Pavlik at Penn State, he would win win that uh, conference every year, and then he won the NCA's in 2008. So that was good. John Spira, no, I mean, excuse me, Ken Preston at Santa Barbara had a tremendous lead coach team every year. And always played tough at home too. Uh, he had to retire early from Parkinson's, but. Uh, he still can play golf pretty well I played with him a couple of years ago and uh, Don Shaw just told me he's still out he just played with him recently too so he's still hanging in there John Costi at Stanford built up a great program too and he's very competitive up there so you know if I've left anybody off oh, Ruben Nuevas at Stanford in 97 he, he brought in an NCAA championship team and, and really got things rolling up there at Stanford. You never really yeah.
2: had like Andy Witt and Lambert and those guys, maybe.
0: Well, that was '97, yeah. And Witt and Lambert, <laughs> and
2: uh, Stewart. They, uh, they took
0: us out in the NCAA finals. They had a three-man block on uh, Neapoli, our great opposite, who uh, we we just went to him anyway. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that, that was a great. Great oh yeah,
2: and Furbringer, I think might have been there at that time too. So they had. You're a absolutely
0: right. Those were the three guys that were leading them at that time. So he was a heck of a recruiter. He got the right people in, and then the next year they let him go because uh, he was having problems with Witt and Gardner, and uh, wasn't starting those two guys. And the next year they they made him they gave him another job. But anyway. They promoted Costi. Costi, I think, at that time. Hey, Dave Dozier at Lewis. He, this little school that's outside of, and it's in Romeoville. In, <laughs> uh, it's I guess it's the next school is Loyola, the next big school of Chicago. But anyway, he had a championship, but the NCA took it away from him.
2: That's when they had all those international players (laughs) there that were like uh, no one knew their backgrounds or something, and they had some real studs. I remember uh, on that team when I watched them.
0: That's for sure. Yeah, these guys were a little older and a little more experienced.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They weren't exactly "quote unquote" amateurs, (laughs) as far as we knew. They were.
0: You did a good job with that group, anyway. So, and how about Mike Wilton? He. He was the NCAA runner-up in 96, and then he won the championships in 02. And they took that away from him, too, because he had one guy that.
2: Was that, uh, they were runner-ups to, to you guys uh, that year, and they had that great team with like of all Cats, and Jason Ring and all those guys, but you guys beat them in five, right?
0: Yeah, we beat them in five. I had Neapoli, my best player. I substituted him out of the first four games. He, he had a, To get into that tournament, he had 52 kills and 86 swings against the best Santa Barbara team ever. And we beat him in Hawaii. And for the first time in his career, that locals were yelling for Paul because if we beat Santa Barbara, Hawaii got to go. It was pretty strange because he had been booed, booed unmercifully in Hawaii. Because he's he was his dad's from Hawaii, yeah, he's half Samoan, and they were just they hated him because we would beat Hawaii at home all the time. Yeah, With they're Paul like, and... oh, you
2: should have stayed home, pal. Why are you playing for skates at UCLA?" I get it.
0: Yeah, but that night everybody was cheering for me. He had fifty-two kills, but you know they put five thousand in Bali for that final, and that final lasted three and a half hours, and. Yuval, if you count his, had hit, hit well over 100 balls, if you count all his spikes and jump serves. He was totally exhausted. And in game five, Paul goes one, one-on-one with him and makes this huge move in the middle, and Yuval hits it way out cross-court. And uh, so that was a good start. And Paul played great. He had six kills in the final 15.
2: Yeah, he was a stud. So, I remember watching him play. He was extremely good and uh, a nice guy. And speaking of which, not to get off subject, but didn't he uh, direct a uh, volleyball, beach volleyball film called The Green Flash and, uh, featuring none other than uh, yours truly, Al Skates? That was the that movie. It had a cameo.
0: Yeah, I told him I could give him one day. <laughs> That's he, classic. I was teaching, I think it was during the summer. I don't know, but I was, you know, I was busy. Teaching full-time, coaching, etc., etc. So I'll give you one day. So I get there early in the morning. He gives me a trailer, my own trailer, because I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna be in there <laughs> shooting different shots all day. And they paired me up with this, uh, my beach partner was was this guy, this actor that was pretty funny, but he was heavy. And in one scene, I remember had him serving and running to the net and blocking. Well, after about 10 tanks, I thought this guy was going to have a heart attack. And I called the timeout. I said, Paul, oh, are you kidding? You can't do this. Here, I'll serve. Let him start at the net. You know, we can't have him running through the soft sand.
2: We're going to have a problem
0: there. And so. Okay, so Paul had me serving sky balls and spin serves. Oh, yeah, I was the old guy that, yeah, that was, a, I was the old guy. That was in '97. What was it? I don't know when it was. But anyway, I was already old. So I, I was, uh, two, I don't know when that film was.
2: I think it was 2008 <laughs> with uh, David Charvet and. Tori okay, Devito and think. and stuff. I've seen a little bit of it. Now I gotta watch it because it's kind of like yeah, a, it, becoming it a cult not, classic.
0: It was called Beach Kings. They renamed it. That's right. It's yeah, called,
2: they renamed it, it the it, Green Flash. You got it.
0: No, no, it was renamed Beach Kings. It was a originally Green Flash.
2: Oh, ah, okay. Well, but I, I, yeah, I, I knew it was one or the other. <laughs> I,
0: I don't. It's so little. I don't gash them. <laughs> I. I think I have one. You got, a, you got them stuck okay, to I'm the gonna, refrigerator. let yeah. to see what it says. I think it says Beach King. Oh,
2: that's <laughs> With all the accolades you have in the house, you know, I'm sure, I don't know how you possibly can find that check. <laughs> they, they
0: don't even tell me what it's called. Oh, Beach Kings. Yeah, it's called Beach Kings. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> I, uh, oh, I was going through... Tough, you know because I had to send you some photos
2: yeah which I appreciate I it. yeah I found
0: it but, but anyway um, so I did all these things yeah 2008 that was before my knee was replaced and I had, oh god I had the spike and I I was I spiked and I and we gave the kid the star of the movie a tough match and, and that, it was a lot of fun you know so I enjoyed it
2: well, yeah. Now I think we're all gonna have to watch Beach Kings or Green Flash, depending on what the official name is, and maybe it was released under both. But either way, we'll we'll check out your acting chops in there and see how you did, Coach.
1: This concludes part five of our six-part interview with Coach Al Skates. Appreciate you tuning in and listening to it. As a reminder, we do have a Facebook page, which is Gods to Ghost Volleyball. And we also have a website, which is www.godstoghosts.com. That's G-O-D-S-T-O-G-H-O-S-T-S.com. On our website, we have great content as far as transcripted interviews, videos, and all the podcasts that we've released, as well as some additional information that you might find interesting, including classic pictures throughout the history of the sport of volleyball. You can also, on our website, email us about questions, comments, or recommendations on how we can make the podcast better, as well as for players that you think we should interview in the future so that we can capture the history of this amazing sport. Thank you so much for tuning in.